Well, good evening. I'm so glad that you are joining us this evening for our live stream service. I love studying God's Word. I love getting in and digging a little bit deeper. And the Lord speaks to me every single time I read his word. And I hope that we together tonight will have the Lord speak to us and encourage us and exhort us to just draw a little closer to him. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open them to the book of Philippians in Philippians chapter 3. And we will begin reading verse 15 in just a moment. Paul had many special gifts, but one very, very special gift that he had was his ability to be able to encourage those who were around him. He had the ability to walk into a room, and I believe, in the way I envision it in my mind, is that when Paul would walk into a room or into a church or into a place where believers were assembled, he had the ability to encourage them and lift their spirits. But not just in person, but also through his pen. As he wrote the churches, the way that he crafted his letters, when read, encouraged everyone around him. And there's no doubt that one of his very special spiritual gifts was the gift of encouragement. And when he encouraged someone, it wasn't just a superficial hype or a optimistic energy that he just threw at an individual hoping to lift their spirits. But it was very real. Paul encouraged himself in the Lord, and out of that, he encouraged others from the overflow. We impact those that are around us mostly out of the overflow of our own life. If we are radiating the joy of the Lord and we're really feeling the presence of the Lord on his life and encouraged ourselves, just us being around others and that overflow of joy that we have will spill out onto them also. And of course, the opposite of that is true as well. If we are grumpy, which I never am, of course, I'm kidding. But if we are a little down ourselves. That also, out of the overflow of our life, will splash onto those that are around us. One of my favorite illustrations along these lines is, have you ever been holding a cup of coffee and someone comes up and just bumps you? I've had that happen. And sometimes it gets on me, sometimes it's just a little bit we got to pick up off the floor, or just a little bit where it just spills over the rim of the cup and just onto my fingers and a napkin can clean it up. And if I were to ask you if that happened to you, why did you spill your coffee? We would immediately say, well, it was because I was bumped. But the real reason that we spilled coffee was because there was coffee in our cup when we got bumped. If there was tea inside of our cup and we got bumped, then tea would have come out. My point here is that whatever is inside of us comes out of us, especially when we are bumped. If we are already having a grumpy day and we're just on edge and we get through life or through the day just a little bit, we get bumped by something, What's going to come out of us is what is inside of us. And the Apostle Paul had the ability, when he was bumped in life with trials, and when, or he was just bumped in life with a schedule that he tried to keep up with and his own burdens, 
What we see coming out of the overflow of Paul's life is mostly encouragement. And Paul's letter to the church at Philippi is a spilling out of all that is in him. Of course, the theme of the entire book is rejoice. And last week, we looked at especially the theme, rejoice in the Lord. And let's continue our look at chapter 3, starting in verses 15 and 16. And there Paul says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto him. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Now let's unpack some of the key words and meanings in just these two verses. He uses the phrase, as many as be perfect. Paul here is speaking about a spiritual maturity. It's a call for others to be like-minded with him in his pursuit to obtain spiritual perfection. Now, did Paul ever think that he would reach the day where he was absolutely perfect, nothing wrong whatsoever in his life, not any sin whatsoever, where he could go through not just a day, but maybe a week of a perfect life? Well, of course not. But he was trying to obtain to be the best that he could be spiritually. So he says, as many as be perfect, or he's saying, as many as be like-minded with me, that would like to go ahead and be the best Christian and believer that we could possibly be. And then in verse 15, he also uses the phrase, God shall reveal. Here is the Greek word for reveal there is pretty much like an uncovering or an unveiling. Picture a statue that an art, artist had just made and is sitting in the town square, but there is a veil over it waiting for the ceremony to start. And then as you get deeper into the proceedings, there comes a point where the artist or someone else comes up and they pull that canvas down off of the statue, revealing it. That's the description Paul is using here. God shall reveal. Well, what is God going to reveal? Well, Paul knew God would reveal the truth to everyone, even if it means chastening. I'm going to reread verse 15. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And then there's a colon. See it there. And Paul goes on with the second thought. And if anything, ye be otherwise minded. So not perfect minded, but you're otherwise minded. God shall reveal even this unto you. And Paul is saying, God will reveal to us when our life is not pursuing toward perfection and like mindedness of Jesus Christ. God will reveal those things to us, whether it's through preaching that we're sitting under or reading God's word or God just speaks into our life during the day. And he pulls that canvas off of something and he reveals to us the ugliness of our sin and says, this needs to be dealt with. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, or starting in verse 5, reads this. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Here the author of Hebrews is saying, don't despise it when God unveils the wrong in your life. Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. 
For whom the Lord chasteneth, or reveals these things to, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? So here we see in Hebrews that if when God chastens us and shows us that we are not living or striving towards perfection, God will reveal it to us because he loves us, because we are his children. Conviction hurts, but it is profitable if we yield in our life. And then down in verse 16 of Philippians chapter 3, we see the phrase, let us walk by the same rule. The word walk here refers to walking in a line. And Paul's direction was here for the church at Philippi to walk in a straight line spiritually. Don't waver in your walk in and out or to the left or to the right. Don't chase the new doctrines that are out there as well, but walk in a straight line according to the doctrines that I have taught you, is what Paul's saying. And Paul constantly found ways to inspire his followers and to inspire the believers to continue striving towards their goal. Paul acknowledged that spiritual progress up to this point had come from following standards that are set down in God's word. And he encouraged the church to follow that same rule. Stay in line with these things. Follow the same rule. Have the same attitude. And Paul's not saying this from a lofty position, from an ivory tower, or from a lofty stage as he looks down. But he's saying as someone who is a believer walking beside them, also a sinner, also with internal struggles. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, as we go on here, Paul says, Brethren, be followers together of me. And I love those two words paired together, followers together. That's how Paul viewed the believers at the church. And he goes on here, and here's a warning. And mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So Paul here is saying the followers together of me literally means imitators of me. Paul is saying, as I do my best to try to imitate Christ, you imitate me. Imperfect people need examples of others dealing with their imperfections. Not pretending to have everything together. Not pretending that they themselves are perfect, but rather that they are imperfect. Being honest about their weaknesses. Because when we are honest about the weak things in our life, it encourages others who are feeling weak. We give them someone that they can relate to. And they realize, I'm not the only one in this. And Paul is saying, look, we're followers together. I'm not lifted high above you, but I am alongside you. I am trying to imitate Christ. Let's try to do that together. We need Christians modeling the process of reaching for the goal of perfection. Well, what does that model look like? Pretty much, I think it can be summed into three steps. Failures, repent, and restore. We will in our weaknesses, have failures. 
But what do we do after that? We repent. And what does God promise after we repent? That he will restore. Does that mean we will have no more failures after that? Of course not. What it means is we're going to fail again. We are human. We are weak. We are striving towards perfection. And one day in heaven, we will obtain it when we meet our Savior. But up until then, our life is going to be a cycle of failures. And then it's asking for repentance. And then it is restoring. But repentance must follow failure. We can't fail and then just decide, I just can't do it and give up. We have a Savior that is waiting for us to repent so he can go ahead and he can restore. I think sometimes we use the excuse that I'm not perfect, so I'm not a good example for other Christians to imitate. Paul wasn't saying that he is perfect. He is saying, I have a desire to be better than I am today just a little closer towards perfection. I am weak. I fail, but I repent, and the Lord restores me. And Paul invites the church at Philippi to join him in this example. As he follows Christ closely, he's making a pattern for others to follow. And he even widens the scope. We have individuals that we could see Paul helped, like Timothy, Epaphroditus, Silas, and there are others that Paul came alongside and helped, said, yeah, you are going to fail. Yes, I recognize you're not perfect, but I am not either. And Paul was very open all the time about his weaknesses. And that encouraged others, saying, if Paul is weak and he acknowledges the sin that's in his life, I should do the exact same thing. Now, let's go down to verse number 18 and 19, and we have a stark warning here by Paul. And we see some godless enemies really coming into the church. In verse 18, here's Paul's warning. For many walk, of whom I have told you often. He said, I've mentioned this before. I've told you often. And now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Verse 19, four things we see here. He describes the enemies of the cross here, or enemies of Christ. Number one, whose end is destruction. Number two, whose God is their belly. Number three, whose glory is in their shame. And number four, who mind earthly things. The enemies of the spiritually minded or the enemies of Christian are usually people. Last week, Paul called them dogs, not the domesticated kind of dogs who are loyal and faithful and greet you at the door wagging their tail, but rather the dogs of the first century. They were nuisances. They were out on the streets. They were dirty. They were smelly. They were mean. He's saying, There are dogs that are out there. There are evil workers. He said they may pose as friends, but in all reality, they are foes. Look out for them. Paul says their ultimate goal in life is destruction. The word there for destruction is perdition. Do you remember the title given to Judas? Judas was called the son of perdition, destruction. 
Paul says also in that verse that their God is their belly. That's kind of a funny way for us to be able to communicate what Paul's trying to communicate. Let's look at it a little bit. What he's simply saying is their appetite is their God. What they follow is their God. What they desire in the moment is their God. They are not in control of themselves, but their appetite is what controls them. What they want right there in the moment, they do not withhold from themselves. It is the opposite of discipline. These enemies of the cross took as their God whatever felt good. Whatever fulfilled their desires, that was their God. Paul said this of the people that were in the first century. How much more true is it even today in the 21st century? He also says that their glory is their shame. They justify their behavior and then proclaim that what they're doing is wrong is actually right. That they're wrong is right. Or it used to be called wrong, but now it is right. And their bad conduct is supported by a code that endorses exactly what they are doing. Does that sound like 21st century or what? Their whole sense of everything that they value is absolutely perverted. And they glory in the things that they actually should be ashamed of. That is today. The enemies of Christ call what is wrong Right. They have, they're trying to totally rewrite the moral code. And then Paul goes on in the same verse. Their mind is on earthly things. Their minds were not being renewed in Christ. And they could not think as they ought. They only thought in the moment on earthly things. Their, things of their own appetite is what they spent most of their time thinking about. Their view was all on the soil and not on the Savior, as one writer put it. There's also a warning for Christians not to have their desires on temporary earthly things. So while Paul is speaking of unbelievers here, the enemies of Christ, the enemies of the cross, we have to look closely are we as believers ever guilty of the exact same thing? Do we ever have our minds on earthly things? Do we ever justify wrong in our life by calling it right? Let's look at verse 20. Philippians 3.20. For our conversation is in heaven. When you hear the word conversation there, think citizenship. Okay? Citizenship. For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is reminding the church at Philippi, your citizenship is in heaven. Many countries allow citizenship in two countries at the same time. What we'd call a dual citizenship. And the Christian also has dual citizenship. The eternal place of Christian citizenship, of course, is in heaven. But Christians, we also have a citizenship here on earth that is temporary. Philippi, the city of Philippi, was a Roman colony. 
We have to understand that as Rome extended its empire and conquered people, that they began to establish Roman colonies. At all of the strategic military zones throughout the world, Rome would establish a colony. Rome would place them at major highways, at crucial mountain passes, Anywhere where an army might try to come into the empire, they would establish a colony there. And the citizens inside these colonies were mostly soldiers. And if anyone served as a Roman soldier in one of these colonies, after 21 years, they would obtain a Roman citizenship or dual citizenship. A significant distinction of these Roman colonies was that they would remain a part of Rome. So these colonies, though far from the city hub of Rome, and maybe countries away, maybe even on the outskirts of the empire at the time, they would dress like Romans. Whether they lived in Greece or Israel, Roman justice and Roman morals were the expected thing. Roman governors were placed over these cities and colonies. It was encouraged that they speak Latin. And they never forgot that they were citizens of Rome. And they permanently remain Roman, even to the ends of the Roman Empire. And many in the church in Philippi were Roman citizens, and they immediately understood Paul's analogy here. They lived in Greece, in the city of Philippi, but their citizenship was in Rome. They had citizenship on earth, Paul is saying, but look, you also have citizenship in heaven. And Paul did not want them to forget that they were citizens of heaven first. That means their conduct needed to match their citizenship their language needed to match. How they went about life and how their, their interactions, their reactions, all needed to point to, yeah, I'm a Roman citizen, but that's not as important as my other citizenship that is in heaven. Wherever a Christian is, we must remember that we represent our Lord. And we have another citizenship. God has colonies all over the world. And he dispatches them where we can go ahead and we can confront the enemy. And God has strategically placed each one of us within his will so that we could represent him. We must never forget that. We live under the principles of our Lord we should speak the language of our Savior. Our interests aren't down here, but rather they are in heaven. Speaking of Abraham, the author of Hebrews said this in chapter 11, verse 10. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham knew he had a place beyond this life that God set the very foundations of. And this is where sometimes it's very hard for us to get lost in our calendar and the busyness of responsibilities that we have. To remember, we have a dual citizenship. 
Do we belong down here right now? Yes. If we're still here, God's not done with us. But we also have a citizenship that is in heaven. So let's continue serving in the colonies where God has placed us until his return. In the colony of our, our neighborhood, in our workplace, in the county, in the state where we're at, in the church where God has us. In that colony, serve him, understanding there are very real enemies out there who call wrong right and want to rewrite all of the morals that the Bible has put into place. We must not allow that to happen. And sometimes we think it as our generation really being under attack. But when I look at Paul speaking to the first generation here, or first century generation, I'm thinking, my word, some things never change. Paul is warning them of their enemies, and we likewise have enemies. And I'll conclude with this thought. Do you ever feel out of place down here on earth? If so, it's because you are a citizen of heaven. You're not a citizen down here for all eternity. We're in a colony down here. We have a job to do down here as citizens, but our true citizenship is in heaven. So if we don't feel out of place down, down here, that is okay. It's because we belong in heaven. And while we obtain and try to work towards perfection, and we try to imitate Christ the best way that we can. We're going to have failures. Let's repent from them, be restored from them, and start over. And set an example for a world that is watching us. Paul's instruction were wonderful for the first century church, especially a church at Philippi. And I think they're more applicable even to us today. Let's have a great week. Let's continue to serve the Lord as citizens down here, but mostly of citizens of heaven, representing our Lord while he has us here in our place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us in this way, Lord, to be able to serve you faithfully. And while we live in a world that seems to have lost its mind and going crazy, Lord, and calling wrong right and right wrong, I pray that we would just stabilize ourselves on your word. May we walk in a straight line, faithful and true. And may others, Lord, be able to imitate us because we are imitating you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.